and serendipitous. Uh, whether you've been at Live Oaks a long time, and some have, or you've been here a very short time, you've only come maybe a couple Sundays or, or maybe only a few months. I want you to know something. You're a part of the history of what God is doing in this church. Do you see that? You're a part of the history of what God is doing here. You all belong. I want you to know that. You're as much of a part, whether you've been here a short time, long time, as anyone else. You belong here, and you have a part. Whether you play a big part or a small part, you're here in the history of what God is doing here. God's story, our story, and our stories together are intertwined in the purposes, promises, and blessings of God Almighty, aren't they? They're all intertwined. I don't know if you're cognizant of that today, or if you came here thinking of that today, but I hope you get a glimpse of that today, of what God was doing. Never did I comprehend at the time, because I can barely think back of being 20, 29 years old, but I was 29 at one point. I had three kids at one point. I was young, and boy, it was easy to function that way. I lived and I worked and I followed the Lord in California. And there I was. And never did I realize that obediently, finally saying yes to a decision to move to Kansas that I had said no to two times already, that I said yes, that me coming and taking a ministry position here at a large local church in our, our city, me saying yes to that, never would I dreamed that it would have led to seven children. <laughs> I wouldn't have dreamed. Never would I have dreamed that it would, lead, it would lead to staying here for the rest of my life. And I know my life's not over, so we don't know what God would do or what he has in store, but we're here. Never would I thought that I would stay here and plant a church and make disciples and reach out with the gospel with you, with you. I wouldn't have thought that unless the Lord revealed it and showed me that this is a part of his story, a part of his history, and it's a part of my story, and our stories have been joined together. Did you come thinking that today, that you're a part of his story, his history? Amen. I hope you do before you leave. This is part of what Paul and Barnabas was doing in their first missionary journey. Because you know that Paul and Barnabas, they went and they took money to Jerusalem to help with their need, right? Then they come back to Antioch, to this church, and as they're worshiping and praying with their fellow leaders there in the church in Antioch, the Holy Spirit sets them apart and says, I want you to head off on a mission trip for me, and I want you to do what I've set you apart to do. And so they take off. And remember last week, we left them on the island of, of Cyprus, and they were in this little town called Patmos. Why don't you turn this on? Oh, there we go. There it is. They're at Paphos. And remember, that's where they met um, the false prophet, Bar-Jesus, who was trying to stand in their way and keep the proconsul Sergius Paulus, from accepting Christ. But Paul did what? He prayed down. He prayed the will of God. 
And he spoke to that evil spirit and to that false prophet, and he blinded him in the name of Jesus. And so what happened? Sergius Paulus believed, and the word of God spread greatly. Because there was victory for that. They were a part of God's history. Well, now this week, they get on a boat, and they take off to Perga, Lystra, and now they're up in Antioch. There's another Antioch up in Galatia. And that's where they are today. And they're bringing the good news. And they're bringing the good news and telling those people that God has fulfilled his promises made in history. God has done it. And that you too in Antioch can benefit in those blessings and you can be a part of his history. Just as they told the folks in Paphos and in other places that they went. You're a part of that history. You're a part of God's story. And so they begin to tell them a message. And we want to read what they said. And it's just a condensation or uh, just a small portion of what Paul probably preached. But we want to take a look at that message that he preached. His story, our story are intertwined. And I hope you see that today. Let's read starting in verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Pergama in, in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath day, they entered the synagogue and they sat down. After reading from the law, the prophets and leaders, it said that the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you had a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. That was just uh, normal, traditional, uh, what they would do if traveling preachers or speakers came or people that they trust. They would open the floor for them and let them speak a word of exhortation. That's an important gift that we exercise in the church is exhorting one another, which is basically um, giving one another, reminding, God, reminding one another of God's word and God's truth. It's giving them a message from God to encourage them and to exhort them to trust him in faith. And so they asked them, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. And it says, standing up, Paul motioned with his hands and said, fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. He connects with his audience right away and he calls them fellow Israelites. Much like I said to you, we belong. We're a part of this. You're a part of this. So I'm speaking to you. And you can join in this message and receive the blessings that are a part of it. And so that's what he says to them. And then it goes on. I've got to get my Bible a little further because these don't have enough strength. How do you like that? So, standing up, Paul motions with his hand. Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. See, they knew their history. They knew about the patriarchs, right? He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. They knew about the deliverance, the great deliverance. You do too. You've been around the church. You've read your Bible. You know about it. Or at least most of us do. And with a mighty power, he led them out of that country. And for about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. 
And he overthrew seven nations in Cana, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. And all this took about 450 years. God takes his time sometimes in, in keeping his promises, but he keeps them. And so he's saying, you're a part of that. You know, there was a time when I didn't know that history. And I didn't know that I connected with that history. I can remember being in Sunday school. I wasn't raised in the church. And they asked me, well, you know who Moses is, right? You know who Noah is, right? You know, and I went, no, no, no. And the Sunday school teacher then made me feel like I was stupid. And I still remember as a kid thinking, okay, you know, I won't say what I always thought. I just thought I'm not coming back to this ever again because I'm sorry. I don't know this history. But we do know this history. And if you don't know this history, praise God, you're going to get to know this history and know that you're a part of it. Let's keep going. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. And judges is such a great book, how these judges partnered with God to rule his people as they were being formed into a nation. But then... Samuel, until the time of Samuel the prophet, that's when God did what? People asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. You remember David? God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. He said a Messiah would come, and a Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John, as John was completing his work, he said, Who do you suppose I am? I am not the one you're looking for. But there is one coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And then he said, fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. It is to us. Wow. To us. To us. Paul connected them. He can, he's trying to connect us. God, to God's story in history and letting us know that it connects to our story and our history. God is connecting for, to us. First, one of the reasons it's important to know God's history and so important to know his history is his story, in his story is because his past promises are our present realities. And you can write that down. That's your first point. His past promises are our present realities. Think about it. Some of you didn't grow up in the church. I didn't grow up in the church. And for years of my life, I had no idea about this history. And it affected the way I lived my life. I lived for myself. I lived lost. I lived with no sense of connection. Didn't know there was a God. Maybe thought there might be a God, but didn't know that. Didn't know what God had done in history, nor did I know what he did in Christ. I was lost. You were lost. We didn't know. And the Bible says that those who don't know their history, they're destined to repeat it. They're destined to 
not benefit from it, right? And so it's so important to know our history so we can benefit from it. In Paul's opening survey of Israel's history, he highlights just some important events. He doesn't tell the whole thing, but he talks about the choosing of the patriarchs. That this God, after man sinned and after the world was on a downward spiral, God began to work to redeem it all. And he had a plan from the garden. Once At the very beginning, after we sinned, there was always a plan to redeem us and win us back and put everything back that was stolen. And so he highlights these patriarchs. They're the ancestors. God chose them, and he worked through them. And he formed Israel into a nation through them. And then they went to Egypt, and they were delivered by a great deliverance. And if you haven't read that and sunk into what God did for them there, you need to do that. Then there was a time in the wilderness as they followed the Lord, but they, they struggled with obeying the Lord and trusting the Lord. And so it took them longer to get into the promised land than they could have gotten into it. But then they did get in it. And they began their conquest of the land of Canaan, the promised land. But it says that God fought on their behalf and overthrew different countries, different people groups, and gave that land to them. We think, well, that sounds like a pretty mean God, you know, that he would do that. Well, no, 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 no. God was very patient with those lands, too. But he wanted to show people that he lived, and he wanted to show people his grace. And so he led his people into this promised land. Then there was the time of the judges, and then there was the creation of the monarchies, because the people wanted a king like the rest of the countries around them. All these events and movements of God, Paul said, lead up to Jesus. They were all taking us there, all foreshadowing that, that this Messiah would come, he would come through the family line that was chosen. And we know that he did come. So the survey of Israel's history that Paul starts with, that these folks have an inkling of, it demonstrates that God has a plan for history. God has a plan for history. Just that fact alone is an important one to keep in our mind. God has a plan for history. God has a plan for each of us. God has a plan for each of our histories. He has a plan. Sometimes we've joined in that plan. Sometimes we have not joined in that plan. But he has a plan. And we need to sense this connection to that plan. My story is a part of his story, and his story is a part of my story. And we're not just spinning around on this globe out in the universe, and there's no plan and no design. No, there's a plan. Jesus is the goal of history. Your, 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 your history books won't tell you that, but that's the reality. He is the goal of history. And we are in Jesus, and we are in the flow of God's great plan of redemption right now. So I'm asking you this. Do you have a real sense that God has, has a plan for your life? Do you? If you don't, why not? Do you see the connections between your history and God's goal of history in Jesus? If you don't, Are you in the flow? Are you participating in God's great plan of redemption? 
If you're not, why not? Why not? See, sometimes it's because we just don't know. See, too many people, even believers, see themselves in their lives as being little and of little significance. And if I've asked some of you, you think you just like, nah, I don't know that I really matter that much. You couldn't be further from the truth. You do matter. You matter much. You're not just in this grand ocean and space of time. You matter. And you matter much. And the Bible tells us so. And Jesus tells us so when he was on earth, his life and teachings. I want you to take an exercise, and I want you to write this down if you have somewhere to write it. And I want you to spend some time doing that. You could even start it right now. But I want you to take some time in prayer, and I want you to survey your own personal history. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I was so blessed by being encouraged to do that years and years and years ago. And this is what I want you to write down. When was the first time that you believe God revealed himself to you and that he was there? That's the first question you want to work on. When was the first time that you can remember in your life that you knew God was real and he was there? When was the first time? I can always remember mine. Mine's really easy. Because I was out running around building forts as a little dude. I wasn't even in kindergarten yet. And I had a crush on Michelle that lived next door. See, Michelle, you got a great name. So I thought Michelle next door was something because she was a little older than me. She was probably a third or fourth grader, you know, but she was something. And so we're out there building this fort, and it's at night. And Michelle decides to be an evangelist or to tell me because they went to the Nazarene church. And, and so she tells me, she goes, you know, there is a God who made all this. And just like we're building this, he made the earth and the heavens. And he sent his son Jesus to come and die for our sins. And, if, and anyone who doesn't know him, um, they're going to go to hell. And they're going to be judged for the wrong things they did. I'll tell you what, when she told me that, I was just... <laughs> I was scared to the core. I looked at her and went, Michelle. I go, one... Who is this Jesus? And two, when's he coming back? Because she says when he comes back, he's going to take care of business. I go, when's he coming back? And she goes, oh, he's not going to come back for like a thousand years or so. You'll be dead by then. You don't have to worry about it. And I remember going, dodge the bullet. <laughs> dodge the bullet. But I had this deep sense in the core of who I was that if there is a creator a designer, if there is a God, I know one, I don't know him, and two, I've done a lot of bad things. And I'm gonna, he saw it all. I could hide it from parents and other people, but not him. And I'm gonna be in big trouble. And I felt that. It's the first time I ever had a sense that there was a God that was there. One of my first questions to the Lord when I finally asked him, I go, God, if you were really there, when are you ever gonna save me from myself? That was much later in life. But I had other experiences where God showed himself. You do too. So, so jot those down. Jot those things down. When you believe that he revealed that he was there to you. That he was present. Okay, also, I want you to jot down this. Jot down anything you believe he said or he promised to you. 
Because there are times when God moves and shows himself, and you're going to have a number of those throughout your life by God's grace, if you have sit down and evaluated your history, where you'll go, oh my gosh, I do think that God actually said something to me or promised something to me. I never thought that before, but I never took the time to really pay attention and listen. Then from there, I want you to move on to list all the other times God has showed you he was there, all the other times he's moved in your life and led you, all the other times he's revealed his will or told you what to do. I'm not saying that you actually did it or you actually obeyed, but he moved and he spoke and you sensed he was there. I want you to write those. See, I have other ones like that, right? You do too. And then I want you to include, okay, once you, after you get those things down, all those things down, I do want you to include how you responded and what was the result. How did you respond and what was the result? I always love to say that, remember that time I went to that Baptist church as a seventh grader, and it was the first time I heard a preacher yell in church, Jesus, you know, and, and he'd jump and do stuff like that. I thought, this is cool. This is good. Because I, I, I'm ready to rock. Before then, I'd only been to Catholic churches or Nazarene churches, and they're all pretty quiet. But this one, you could be loud. I like that. Okay? And so I remember him doing that, and, and you remember me saying that he was given an altar call, and if you feel Jesus tugging on your heart, respond to him. I felt Jesus tugging my heart. Right? I didn't know what to do with it, and I wasn't sure. That's the first time I've been in church, or this church. I didn't go to church very often or show up there. I didn't know what to do, so I didn't act. And then I asked my friend, what should I have done, man? Have you ever experienced anything like that? He goes, oh, yeah, I've experienced it. He says, that's okay, just wait, it'll go away. And you can just go on with your life as it is. Well, I remember that time, and I did. And then I remembered the result. And I would write down that I went on a sinning, evil, wicked binge for the next three years. Wow. Was that God's plan for my life? Huh? Anybody want to say yeah? That was God's plan for your life. No big deal. No. That was not God's plan for my life. That was the evil one's plan for my life because I, I kept rejecting. I didn't know any better. God knew that. I didn't know any better. But I look at it now, look back, you see, you learn from it. You learn from it. So put down how you responded and what were the results. Ask him to show you if your perspectives were accurate even. Because sometimes we've thought certain ways about our past or our history, and God would say, no, that's not accurate. Isn't that what Paul was doing here in this message? He was telling these group of believers who were Jews, some were Jews, um, that were still uh, Jews, but they wanted to know more about God, right? And some were Gentiles. And he was telling them, the way you've looked at your past history, you, were, you know these events, but you haven't understood them. You need to see them with new eyes. You need to know the truth of them, about them. They were all connected and pointing to Jesus, this Messiah that would come. You know the Messiah was supposed to come. But you never saw it this way before. And he reinterpreted it for them. 
It's so important to connect to God and his message and what he's doing. It's so important for us to explore and understand. And you've heard me use this term again. Explore and understand the mystery of your history. I loved that when I first heard that. Because there is a mystery in your history. God is there. He's there. He's just not there yelling and screaming. He's there. And if you sit down and listen and come before him, you may find out that God has been so present and so active in your life that you're going to be blown away at the fact that you never saw that before. I hope you've seen that. And that he loves you. He's not rejecting you. He's trying to love you and love you to himself. So as you see that connection between his grand story in history and your own personal story in space, it changes you and you begin to see that God actually who you thought might be unfaithful and who you blame for things was actually very faithful to you. Very faithful to you. Very kind. Very compassionate to you. Very patient. Not wanting you to perish, but come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. He was willing. He wasn't going to bully you. He wasn't going to push you. He was going to lead you. And you begin to go, oh my gosh, God's pretty cool. He's great. That's why I love our study in Genesis. That's how I feel when I get done with that. John used to say when he'd finish reading the book of Genesis, he'd always cry every time. You know, it's like Interstellar, Hannah. It's like that movie, man. It's, it's like any movie that causes you to cry. There are certain passages where you just go, oh my gosh, he left me. I thought he, I thought he hated me. I thought he was after me. He left me. And he has a gracious plan. So the people that Paul was preaching to that were seeking after God had never made those connections before in, with their history and God's history, but they're doing it today. And their eyes are opening up. Are your eyes opening up for you? God is with you. You're not here by mistake. God has a plan. Let's join him. Well, this is the next thing. Let's move on. Paul's presentation of the good news emphasized certain things. And you know what it emphasized? And I love this. Because we get all messed up about, well, if somebody asks me about Jesus or asks me about my faith, I don't know what to say. Well, you just tell them what God's done in your life. But you also just tell them, just like Paul did, you emphasize certain events. That's what Paul did. He did offer some eyewitness evidence to corroborate the things that he was saying. Okay? Because there were eyewitnesses at that time. However, he focused on things that actually happened. Rather than presenting some philosophical or theological argument to legitimize his message, he focused on things that happened. I want you to hear what theologian and teacher James Boyce wrote. He wrote this. He's since gone. He's dead. But he wrote this, and he was a, a pretty smart guy. Christianity, and we have this quote up on the board in the back, Christianity is not just a philosophy or a set of ethics. Though it involves these things, essentially Christianity is a proclamation of facts that concerns what God has done. That's good. It's true. It's a proclamation of facts. 
concerning what God has done. It's events. I want you to read with me, and let's continue on, starting in verse 27. We're just going to read through verse 32, and then 38 and 39, as Paul goes forward. So starting in verse 27, Paul says this, The people of Jerusalem and their rulers, they didn't recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophecies that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and they laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Do you know that that is corroborated by Josephus, uh, the Jewish and Roman historian? It's actually these facts can be corroborated, that these things actually happen. Now, if you believe in them exactly, you, you, know, you have to take it by faith that God raised, rose him from the dead, they, they don't know what happened to the body, they say. Because there were different rumors, right, about what happened to the body. But we all know that his disciples didn't come in with an arsenal of guns and pitchforks and everything else and take his body away, right? That didn't happen. There's no way on earth that could have happened. Only something miraculous had to happen. Let's keep going. Uh, and when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, Paul says. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. These are facts. That's what their testimony is. We're eyewitnesses. Paul himself saw Christ in a vision going to Damascus. And so Paul is saying, I'm just telling you what I've seen. And you, you make a choice whether you're going to believe it or not believe it. But I'm telling you a fact. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. That is what he's done. It's part of our history. It's part of our story. This is part of what, where you're at right now. And then in verses 38 through 39, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that, though, that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses, but you now have in Jesus. See, this good news that Paul preached here is essentially the same good news that Peter preached. They have the same messages. In fact, there have been some that were slamming them, saying, you all don't have really any originality. What's your deal? You're all preaching the same thing. <coughs> well, there's a reason for that. The truth is, the truth's the truth. Our methods in ministry might change throughout the generation in different people in different places where we share the message, right? So our ministry methods might change, but the message never changes, amen? It's never modified because of the beliefs and biases of the audience it's given to. It's never, because it's the truth. And it's laid out for you in saying God had a plan and has a plan. Either you'll accept it and receive it in history, or you won't. 
But it's not going to change that plan. And it's not going to change God's grace and His goodness. Because He'll continue to witness about it. It's up to you whether you'll believe it. The gospel is simply, and this is our second point, is simply a set of facts of what God has done on earth, what He's done in Jesus, what He's done for lost people, what He's done for you. That's all it is. Just get familiar with the, the facts. Just the, the simple facts. Do you know those facts? Do you share them with people? It's the good news. Do you know those facts so that you can meditate upon them and so you can rejoice in them that God is so gracious and he's so sacrificial and generous in acting on your behalf to save you? Do you know those facts? I'm just going to give you the facts so you can write them in your notes if you're taking notes. These are the facts that Paul lays out in this little portion of his message. One, the fact of the matter is Jesus was crucified. That's fact one. Fact two, he was buried. In the ground, he died. Fact three, he was raised from the dead. He was resurrected. That's a pretty miraculous feat. In fact four, he was seen by many witnesses. By many, he was seen. Many of you continue to be his witness today because you've heard him, you've seen him, you've witnessed his mystery in your history, and it's as real to you as anything else in your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. And hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank God. So now we know that the God who acted in the past, he's acted again in Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying. And he's fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies now, and he offers forgiveness of sins and justification for all and a brand new life in him through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. God offers that to anyone who will come and surrender all to him. But you've got to come and surrender all to him. You've got to ask him to be Lord. We can't play religion. We can't play church. We can't play, I'm just going to give you part of my heart, God, but not the whole thing. It's not going to work. But you're going to find out when you surrender all to Jesus, you haven't really surrendered all to Jesus, right? Because he begins to open up your mind and your heart and you grow. And you realize how much more you need to open up your mind and heart and grow. And so you become humbler and humbler in that walk with him. So to surrender all now doesn't mean that you don't continue to surrender for the rest of your life. Praise the Lord. But see, those are the facts. God came, came to earth and became a man. He was crucified on behalf of our sins. He paid that debt. He was buried and he was raised from the dead through the power of God himself. And he was seen alive by many witnesses. And we continue to be his witnesses. The Apostle Paul wrote this in John 1, 9 through 13. John 1, 9 through 13. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. They missed the mystery of his history. He came to that which was his own, that means the Jewish people, his nation, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all, it says, yet, to all, whether Jew or Gentile alike, who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, 
he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human's decision, or a husband's will, but they're born of God in his will. Amen. And that is the truth of all who have accepted him as Lord and Savior today. You are now his child. Your history has changed. You have changed. I, see you, I hope you see that mystery in your history. So I want to leave you this morning with these questions to continue to work on these things in the Lord and follow up on Paul's message. Because the people in his message that he preached to today didn't necessarily respond wholeheartedly, but they followed him around and they wanted to hear more. And then when he showed up, and, and Grant's going to be preaching on this next week, when he showed up next week to speak, it's like the whole town showed up. Because now people are ready to act and they're beginning to see God's mystery in their history. But I want to leave you with some things to think about and to pray over today. Have you recognized Jesus' presence, his story, in your history and in your story? Have you taken the time to recognize his presence? Have you explored and will you explore and become more aware of his presence and movements in your life? Take time to do that. The world will tell you, don't do that. You know, it's, you can do it later. Don't listen. The world always in our flesh try to rob us of these opportunities. Take the opportunity, take today to do that. Number two, have you received his forgiveness for sins? If you haven't, that's laying out there. Have you become a new creation, a son or daughter of God through the infilling of his Holy Spirit? If, if you haven't, that's out there. And that's the message. That's a message for everybody around us. God, that's God's goal in history. The people around us who don't know Jesus need to know that that's God's goal in history. Not what Fox News says, not what CNN says. Not what your textbooks say. It's, it's what God's word says. That's the goal of history, Jesus. And number three, have you joined Jesus in telling others a set of facts of what God has done on earth and in Jesus for lost people? We need to be challenged to see God in our history and in our lives. Hmm, I wonder how many of us might have come to Christ sooner, had we? just had somebody to talk to about that and to explore it with us. God's story in his history is an intertwined with our story in history. Let's let people know that. Amen? Let's stand as we close. Let's let people know that. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we just thank you this morning for your word that constantly is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that you would keep us in your word, that the truth would not be stolen from us or from our hearts. We thank you that the word of God is living and active and sharper than a double-edged sword. It divides between soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it is effective and powerful enough to, ju to judge every thought and attitude of our heart. We thank you that your word proclaims that. And we thank you that your word is profitable for teaching and rebuke and training in righteousness. And so, Father, keep us in your word that we would not miss the mystery in our, in our history. That we would not be marginalized by the devil and the evil one and held back from our birthright as sons and daughters of God. 
Help us to see, help us to understand. And then, Lord, help us to see that the goal of history is you, Jesus. And that all the promises of the past are now the present reality. And they've been fulfilled in Christ. And we are a part of Christ. So God, help us to walk in that in a fuller way. Bless your body today. Bless us with your goodness and your truth. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray, and we all said together, amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Lord bless you. Have a great Sunday, and have a great time exploring your history. Amen? Amen. amen.